Hey everyone and welcome to The Year Once, the podcast all about today that gives you just enough information to effectively be that guy at the party, causing all your friends to question, hey, who invited you? Like, seriously, why are you here? I'm your host, Michael Montalvo. For the next few minutes, we will swim through the river of time to find out what makes it a truly unique. In this episode, we examine the events that occurred December 2nd. Did you know the childlike princess from NeverEnding Stories named Moonchild? Atreyu and his horse, Artax, are summoned to the ivory tower and learn that they must find a cure for the childlike princess. They leave behind all their weapons and go out to find this cure while facing perils along the way. The whole thing of it is that only a human can name the childlike princess, but Fantastica, the land they are in, has a human deficiency. Atreyu gets into trouble, loses Artax, and gains the luck dragon, Falcor. After more trials, they make their way back to the ivory tower and tell the childlike princess that they failed in their task and could not find a human. But surprise! Bastion, the in-story boy reading the never-ending story that chronicles the adventures Atreyu was having, has been brought to the tower with Atreyu and Falcor through the magic of reading. They question why he will not name the childlike princess even though he has a name picked out and call out to him as the nothing, the film's unseen villain, brings destruction of the land, only stopping when Bastion calls out the name of his mother, Moonchild, and names the childlike princess effectively stopping the nothing at the last moment. But my issue is... What kind of 2000s celebrity baby name is Moonchild? But then, who am I to judge? I'm not a parent, and it was a different time after all. Perhaps it was just a nickname that the dad gave to the mother, or she could have just chosen a new name for herself. The book did come out in 1979, and the film followed it in 1984, so the name is fine. I'm just overthinking it. It is a fantasy book after all. So, what was all that about? If you've even casually glanced at the title of today's episode, it may surprise you to hear me talk so much about the never-ending story. So, if that's not the topic of the day, why am I even talking about it? I guess the subject of a child emperor brought to mind another childlike ruler and the childlike princess. There's a connection. And so, without further ado, sit back and allow me to fumble my way through pronunciations once again with no disrespect intended. To tell you the story of Pu Yi, we first need to go back a little and look at his uncle Guan Shu. Guan Shu's adopted mother, Si Qi, effectively put him into power so that she could act as regent and continue her dominance over the government. In fact, even after Guan Shu came of age, because he was a minor when he ascended to his new role of emperor, it was a further two years before he was able to take control of the government. He would assert himself in 1898 when he issued a set of reforms during the period known as the Hundred Days of Reform, but all that was accomplished was making conservatives angry. Politics just don't seem to change much. So Sichi was angry, and returned to the capital and basically sent the emperor to his room. It sounds silly, but that's what happened. He was confined to the palace. Sichi then began to spread rumors that the emperor had become deathly ill, but foreign governments came out and said that they would not like it if he died or was dethroned. 
so he seemed to get better. Guan Xu had just become emperor in name only. Si Qi would go on to influence the government until her death November 15, 1908. So, that leaves Guan Xu as emperor, right? Not exactly. After Si Qi's death, an announcement was made declaring the death of Guan Xu the day before, making his date of death November 14, 1908. The thing is that up to this point, Guan Xu had been healthy, and since he had died the day before, it was left to Si Qi to name a successor, which she did when she selected Fu Yi. Here's a quick epilogue to Guan Xu. His death was highly suspicious, and many people believed that he had been poisoned, but no one could really prove it. In 2008, a group of Chinese researchers and police confirmed after a five-year study that he had been poisoned with arsenic. We don't know who did it, but we do know that he was poisoned. So with the death of Guan Xu and Si Qi, we bring into the story Pu Yi. The year was 1908, and on this day, December 2nd, two-year-old Aisin Gioru Pu Yi became the last emperor of China. I shouldn't have spent so much time on never-ending story. Pu Yi was born February 7, 1906, to one of the most influential royal families in China. His family had close ties with the Dowager Empress Si Qi, and when his uncle Guan Xu died, she selected him as the new emperor. When officials came to forcibly take him to the Forbidden City, his parents did and said nothing. On the day of his ceremony, he cried and struggled as he was named the Son of Heaven. As with his uncle, he was chosen so that Si Qi could continue to influence the government. However, as we know, she died before that could happen. Instead, he was adopted by the Dowager Empress Longyu, which I am most likely mispronouncing because I could not find a pronunciation guide. During his short rule, he acted under a regent and could be seen as something of a spoiled child, and that's understandable. He was emperor and had people to do everything from flushing the toilet to blowing on hot food to cool it down. To put it bluntly, there was always someone to obey his every command. Unfortunately, this also made him a bit cruel, as he would make servants eat dirt and often tried to pull pranks on his attendants. In one story from the Factinate website, it said that he once tried to have metal filings put into a cake to be given to an attendant only to see the reaction when they ate it. He was fortunately talked out of this by his wet nurse. I'll have to talk about this more in depth in another episode, but it was during his reign that the Chinese Revolution occurred. By 1911, the people began to revolt against the Xing dynasty, leading to what would end his four-year rule. On February 12, 1912, when Dowager Empress Longyu endorsed the imperial edict of the abdication of the emperor, handing power over to the Republican Army of China, she effectively ended over 2,000 years of imperialism as well as the Xing dynasty. She allegedly did this for 1,700 pounds of silver and the promise that her life would be spared. As part of the agreement, Pu Yi was permitted to remain in the Forbidden City, keeping it as his home, and he would also retain his title. But he no longer had any government role. By this time, Pu Yi was six years old. 
For 12 days in July 1917, Puyi was briefly back as the emperor after his position was restored by a Chinese warlord, but the Republican army quickly moved and regained their control. In 1924, he was stripped of his title and forced to leave the Forbidden City as a regular citizen. From here, he went to the Japanese for help and became the leader of the Japanese-ruled Chinese region of Manchukuo. After World War II, he was captured by the Soviet Union and held captive until 1949 when he was sent back to communist China, where for the next 10 years, he spent his time being re-educated in the ways of communism in a Chinese prison. By 1959, he was released and by most accounts, he was a kinder person after having been shown firsthand the troubles he caused people in his youth while in prison. He became a gardener, but by 1966, Mao Zedong had targeted Puyi as the symbol of old China during the Cultural Revolution. This was when China purged their old ways, their old customs, old culture, old habits, and old ideas. He was placed under protective custody, but by this time his health had begun to fail. He would write an autobiography titled From Emperor to Citizen before his death by kidney cancer, in 1967 at age 61. That's going to do it for us today. If you like this podcast and want to hear more, give us a rate and a review. That helps me out and helps steer this in a direction that is hopefully good for all. If you're watching this on YouTube, you can find the Year Was audio version on your podcast app of choice. You can find me on social media and at YouTube at the Apple Cider Club. And as always, I want to thank the Tim Kreitz Band for our musical theme, and thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.